So evidently it's D-Day or the anniversary thereof. 69 years ago. 69 years ago. I don't even remember that. That was a long time ago. Yeah. I think I was still in Nam at that time. Yeah. Yeah. That's back before the Nam, wasn't it? Yeah. Roughly uh, uh, 69 years ago, roughly 78,000 Americans landed on the beaches. 78,000. And uh, uh, what was it? By July 4th, we had 1 million men in theater. That's great. How big was the surge in Afghanistan, do you remember? Uh, which, which one? <laughs> the one that was such a big deal. Well, the, No wonder they say things about uh, the younger generations that are disparaging, especially the, they look towards you know the greatest generation and those sorts of things. And, mm-hmm. and they say, because they landed on Europe – and they fought a war there in four-ish years mm-hmm. and won and, it. And a and lot. We, of, and we've been in Afghanistan since 2000. <laughs> what, yeah, 11 years ago? <laughs> yeah. 11, 12 years ago now? Yep. Yeah, and not to mention they swept through. and I mean, they were fighting a army that was in uniform. Yeah, but like the world's greatest army. At the yeah, time, very I mean, battle hardened. Yeah, <laughs> um, but we also lost a lot more men. Yeah, well, there's there's a different uh, aversion to risk, I think, in our society than there was back then. I think men, for better or worse, people were more expendable, especially military people. Yeah, and I think we noticed a big change in um, during Vietnam. Yes, yeah, there was uh, that was definitely different. It wasn't the same old, same old, and. Uh, I think everybody's been, you know, everything changes. I think Attitude changes, societies I, change. I think ever since the Vietnam War, every war that we've ever been in, everyone has always just been like, this is pretty pointless. I mean, it doesn't really matter what it's been. Everyone has just said, oh, this is a stupid war. Maybe that's it. In. Maybe that with the, you had the win uh, of World War Two, right? Then you had a tie in Korea that's still going on today. Thank right. you. Thank you for leaving that for us uh greatest generation we appreciate that <laughs> and then you have vietnam and you know what what uh the minor stuff mm-hmm. um well not minor if you got killed in it it got sent there uh, away from your family but you know minor in the big scheme of things and then you have the oef or the iraqi war one and oif and oef later so yeah, it's 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 like uh, once we got to Vietnam and it became political and they didn't win that war, uh, everybody figured out, meh, you don't really have to lose a war. You don't really have to win it. The, the United States will go away sooner or later. Yeah, because of their loss of people or you know yeah. the, the public outcry. And that's basically what they were trying to do in Vietnam. That was how they knew they were going to beat us. Yeah, well, once you know, well, they're not stupid, right? Once they travel to America, they see the the students protesting their own government. They're like, "Aha! All we got to do is outlast." And those people were fighting wars long before we got there. So, right. yeah, apparently, a lot of their underground tunnels already existed before the war with us. Even oh, they started. were the Viet Minh were fighting years before we got yeah. there. The French fought. There. I mean, the place is, was at war longer than you know we'd been fighting wars. Uh, here in america in a long time yeah but uh but that wasn't true with the uh the old uh, normandy invasion and the uh mm. the crossing of the channel and the uh the eventual victory in europe um really impressive stuff As, i mean it was an amazing feat you think about you would think about 
transporting that many people yeah. via ship. The the mainly. whole the whole battle stuff. You know, most people, especially if you study in military history, you, you kind of you can follow. You know, you know, so and so did this, and then Rommel did this, and then you know, when these troops moved here. But what blows my mind is the sheer logistics of getting mm-hmm. all the dudes and their stuff over there. I mean, that's it's mind blowing. I can't even get a decent uniform out of supply nowadays. Mm-hmm. But these guys moved all that stuff over there across the channel. You know, millions upon millions of tonnage of people and tanks and gasoline, and it's just it's mind blowing. Well, I think at the there was a. Um there was a sense of you know god and country at that time and we were we weren't invading a country we were liberating them yeah and that's true everything now since the vietnam war again is it's always been oh you're just we're just invading and we're invading. i think i think the the biggest thing is we were in it to win it the whole country was in everybody was all in you know what i mean the dudes right. weren't going home until the war ended Right, so unless you get killed or wounded horribly, you were there for the duration. Your families were knew you were going to be gone for the duration, and everybody was, you know, the whole war bonds and the the Susie Riveter and you know all the cool stuff. Rosie Riveter. I don't know her. I think it was Rosie. She's related to Susie. Oh, you don't that? know her sister, Susie? I don't know. No, that's the one I know. Okay. All right. What, who was the welder? Was it Wendy Welder? I don't know. Uh, I'm making. You should have looked that up or something. If if you if my phone up. worked. Um, don't get me. Oh. So yeah, so it's yeah. I think the difference is, you know, back in 1944, the country was at war. Everybody was all in, right? And fast forward to 2004 through 2014, and. You know, the military's at war a and little bit. That was bit. all that they had to look forward to during, you know, World War II and, and the Korean War. You didn't have uh, television. You didn't have gaming systems. You didn't – I mean, not everyone <laughs> – They didn't have anything a, to do but fight yeah, a war? No, I just mean there there wasn't there wasn't all of the stuff to keep your attention like there is these days. Oh, or I, distract you. Yeah, that's what, yeah. I, that's yeah, what yeah. I'm trying to say is I that – People go, well, I have this nice house, I have this nice car, I have these nice clothes, I don't want to leave them to go fight a war. Well, back during World War II, you know, you got, just, you got the Great Depression we were coming out of. And, yeah, maybe, and may, maybe that's it. Yeah, maybe you just, socioeconomic times are completely different. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So I think that kind of starts to, to play into it as well. well. But if you think about it, though, like you said, we've been at war now for 12 years. Yeah, eleven years over in Afghanistan, and I haven't gone to it, and I've been in the military that whole time. Well, so I mean, I kind of deployed in support of it, kind of sort of around it, but not for very long. You know, ninety days here, one hundred eighty days here, not 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 long in the twelve years scheme of things. We've had entire generation, you know, deploy, fight that war, and come back. Yeah, if you think about it right now, that, that war is 12 years old. You have people that were six years old when it started. Yeah. My kids being weren't even deployed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, going over there to fight a war, yeah. they were six years old when it started. Yeah, they weren't even a. They were, That's they not were, a war in our country. <laughs> yeah. Where exactly. you need to really be yeah, fighting. Yeah, yeah. It. yeah well, you got to go fight it because it's right down the street and, you know, you don't got much choice. But yeah, right. this is. Yeah, it's very interesting putting it in perspective uh, then versus now. And the the other thing that I've noticed, too, is uh, the way that we used to operate those wars and we would move through, like you said, with 
you know, expendable people. Oh, yeah. Um this day we drive out and then we return back to base. And we leave all that open for yeah. anyone to do whatever they want to do while <laughs> I don't think you can I, fight it the same way, but but on the other hand, you know, how can you, you win fighting it the way we have? Obviously, the last 12 years, we haven't won, quote-unquote, yet. We're still fighting it, right? So it's not over. So, you know, it's not working. So why do we keep – But I, think, I, I don't know. I, don't I think know. even during World War II, there were still insurgencies. And sure. you know, there was still some yeah. of that that went on. But I think kind of the big thing about that is the fact that they wanted us there. They well, wanted us in the country. But they till, wanted, until we get to Germany, they probably well, didn't yeah. want us there. Well, right? everyone but Germany and a, you know Japan and a few Italy, other countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, those guys. They wanted us there. They were happy that we were there, and they were happy to turn over people that were going to be insurgencies or kill them themselves. Yeah, they were willing to fight for their country at the time. I think, and I think we're noticing in Iraq and Afghanistan these people. These people have been either worn out or don't care enough to fight for their country. Yeah. Or they don't. There's not a. I don't think they have an identity of a country worth fighting for. You know what I mean? It's 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 tribalism. It's uh it it it's just it's basically savagery, right? It's it's like you know tribes and honor killings and ignorance and suicide bombs and right. It's not. It's. I think you know Seth said it best when he said. The key is you got to get everybody in Afghanistan cable television. And once they all have cable television, you know, and a refrigerator that works and they can all get the internets, then they won't want to blow themselves up. Yeah, the creature comforts that we all have that we don't want to. And they'll they'll have access. Yeah, and they'll have access to, you know, information and they'll know that they don't have to go blow themselves up for whatever reason. Right. But that's one of the things that, you know, you, you you keep a populace dumbed down. And you don't have to worry about that. Oh, it's much easier to control an ignorant populace. Mm-hmm. We know that. So uh, now uh, continuing into our uh, Back to Basics series. Back to Basics. Da, da, da. <laughs> um, we, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about ammunition today and kind of the general questions that uh-huh. would be related to ammunition. Okay. Some things that have been asked to me often. Right. And some things that I think might still be misunderstood by a lot of people out there. Okay. All right. So first off, let's talk about the difference between center fire ammunition and rim fire ammunition. Uh, that's the big one nowadays. Uh, most rifle and shotgun and handgun ammo center fire. Uh, the only rim fire we really use nowadays is the twenty two long rifle, twenty two magnum. Uh, the seventeens are becoming popular. The Mach two uh, is kind of faded, but the seventeen HMR is still going pretty strong. Um, there's some other rim fires out there, some five millimeters, some weird stuff. And what is the main difference between a center fire and a rim fire? Uh, it's how the ammunition's made, right? The rim fire, the the firing pin on the gun actually strikes the rim, and that's where the primer is. The mercury fulminate is in the outer rim. And on a centerfire gun, the primer is in the center, hence the name. So rim versus centerfire. Now, the, the centerfire stuff, the primer is usually replaceable. Uh, the rim fire, it's usually not. It's usually, you know, you use a case once you throw it away type thing. 
Now, what? Why would you even have a difference between a rimfire and a centerfire? Does one uh, give a better burn, or what's the difference? I think nowadays uh, it's historical, first of all, because you had all these competing types of ignition systems back in the day. Okay, and they kind of fell into centerfire and rimfire were the popular ones, and for cost, rimfire is cheaper to make, especially tiny little stuff. F- um, but for uh, reliability and ease of making it, uh, center fire is a lot easier to make. Okay, so now that we've got a, we've got the the cartridge, you know, yep. out of the way, let's talk about the uh, bullets that go inside of that. The bullets. The bullets. Um, you always hear a lot of people always asking, "What's the difference between a full or FMJ and HP?" Uh, FMJ and HP, those are acronyms for full metal jacket and hollow point. Um, a full metal jacket bullet is a usually a lead core encased by a you know different metal jacket, usually copper or a bimetal copper and steel. Yeah, bimetal copper steel has been a real popular. Just steel, uh, you see occasionally. Um, so that is a jacketed. Uh, you can also have a jacket on a hollow point, but a hollow point bullet will have a hollow cavity in the front. Normally, the hollow point uh, is designed to expand when it hits something. So it's designed to, you know, increase in diameter when it strikes a, you know, tissue or wet target. And those ja- those jacketed hollow points or JHPs, yes. those jackets or, or the, the copper actually helps the way that the, it mushrooms out right, and yes. forms. It helps control it. It helps design it. And that's, that's what a jacketed hollow point is all about is the design of the jacket and the core together uh, making a, a good hollow point versus a, you know, a standard one, I guess. All right, and so what about a ballistic tip? A ballistic tip—that's more in the rifles. But yeah, we have seen a few in the in the handguns. Well, but they're gimmicky in the handguns. Like a ballistic tip, they have filled hollow points, like filled cavity hollow points. Uh, Hornady's like got dog. some. Uh, I think Guard Dog is an expanding full metal jacket. I if thought I'm not it mistaken. had. A, I thought it had a core, a little blue core. I think it has. No, there's one um, uh, Powerball has a ballistic-y tip thing in a handgun. But a ballistic tip, normally seen in a rifle, uh, usually hunting cartridge, sometimes a match cartridge, is a jacketed uh, hollow point with a you know pl- piece of plastic uh, shaped usually in the shape of the bullet uh, for the point. And what, what it's usually designed for is to expand – or to help fragment the bullet once it strikes tissue. And I, it also helps with the ballistic coefficiency as well. Yeah, basically. It a point yeah. instead of a flat, hollow. Yeah, you get a better ballistic coefficient downrange with a uh, ballistic tip as opposed to that hollow cavity. All right, and what about a soft point? A soft point is usually a partially jacketed bullet. And we talked about full metal jackets. We talked about hollow points. But sometimes the jacket doesn't fully encapsulate the lead core and the nose is still exposed lead, but there's no hollow cavity. And that's called usually called a soft point bullet. Okay. And what, what, what's the benefit of having that? The soft point, usually, again, seen in a hunting round. Um, sometimes it's seen in revolver rounds for, you know, uh, the jacket keeps the barrel cleaner, but you don't need the jacket to encapsulate the whole lead. So sometimes it's cheaper to have a soft point. But usually in a rifle round, 
it's a hunting it's for hunting purposes it helps the 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 bullet fragment or expand when it hits tissue all right and one of the things that i i always kind of get a kick out of um I'm just going to use nine millimeter as an example. Uh-huh. You have uh, 115 and 124 grains written right. on the side of the box. Right. I have heard by more than one peop- one person refer to that as the amount of grains of gunpowder. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've inside heard that. Yeah. because when you go to the larger grains, you feel a you feel more recoil and it's it's you, usually yeah you can now grains are simply a measure of the weight of the projectile so when that's written on the side of the box it's not talking about grains of powder the manufacturer's probably not going to tell you that but they will tell you how heavy that bullet is so you'll have like a nine millimeter you have your 115 grain you'll have your 124 grain right. you'll have your 147 grain are the three big popular right. uh, bullet weights in that caliber. And like in a forty five, you'll see 230 grand. That's the popular one. Right. So but that has absolutely nothing to do with the amount of powder that's in there. Now, it does – of course, the weight has something to do with the velocity of the round and the power that goes down range and ballistics because a heavier bullet will have different you know ballistics coming out of the gun. But the grains has, has only has to do with projectile weight. And you'll also notice a higher recoil because for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Yes, most of the time. And to send that round down range, you're going to feel uh, – unless it's it's slowed down considerably. Right. Um, Everything else being equal, if you put a – a a heavier bullet in you know with the same powder and same measurement, you would definitely feel more recoil. All right. And then what is the difference between plus P – and plus P plus that you see on the side of some of the boxes too. Well, a lot of times defensive rounds. Right. Yeah. Well, plus P was invented. To, uh, it, let me start with there is standards for every ammunition you know load. Basically, it's a recipe, right? It's specifications, and that's uh, that's controlled by Sammy um, Sportsman's. Oh wow, brain fart. What is hey that? Scott? Maybe you shouldn't go somewhere unless you know. What you're trying to say. I know it. I just can't remember it now. You'll, we'll throw that acronym out there on Facebook. Or yeah. somebody, somebody tell him Anywho, what it means, please. Sammy is Go to the, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash gunshowpodcast, and uh, tell Scott uh, what it means. <sighs> so anyway, Sammy tells <laughs> us, and uh, that's the industry standard for uh, ammunition. Well, uh, Sammy has a... Uh, sporting Arms and Ammunition Manufacturers Institution? I can't read. Institute. I was close. So the um, they have specifications and they have a maximum pressure level. And they measure this with fancy instruments and fancy, uh, you know, gun-like things. And they, they test this ammunition. And when the powder burns, it spikes at a certain pressure. So this this maximum pressure is controlled by Sammy. Well, sometimes manufacturers or customers or both of them get together and they want it to be overpressure ammunition. So they designate that plus P. And if it has an official Sammy plus P designation, then they'll have an overpressure specification for that ammo. Now, you mentioned plus P plus. Uh, there's no such thing. 
according to Sammy, there is no such thing as plus B plus. There's no specification for it. So plus B plus is simply a marketing tool the manufacturers use to say this is higher than plus P pressures. But you don't know what pressure it is because there's no standard. Gotcha. So there's yeah. So basically, like you said, it's just a marketing campaign. Yeah. Plus P plus uh, is marketing. Plus P means overpressure ammunition. So when it so now we've kind of given the basics um, of okay. No, actually, I'm sorry. Let's talk a little bit about powders and how far they've come with low flash powders, uh, quick burns. Uh, kind of go into a little oh, bit sure. about the advancements yeah. so even over the past ten years, fifteen years. The the gunpowder, smokeless gunpowder. Mm-hmm has has advanced so far nowadays where they 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 come out in any burn rate you can imagine which means now they have a powder for every application you can think of and for most application there's 5 or 10 different powders that will work for it so the manufacturers they 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 use the different powders to try to find the one they like and then they'll even blend them but uh basically unless you're hand loading uh all you need to know is uh, there's powder in there. Um, the the powder controls uh, sometimes the accuracy when you're talking about rifle ammo, especially match ammunition. Uh, the powder controls, you know, like you said, low flash. There's powder designed to be low flash. There's powder designed to have uh, be uh, affected less or little uh, by heat temperature changes, um, and that's handy in military applications, uh, and in some cases, law enforcement defensive. Um, there's powder that's designed to be more, um, uh, moisture resistant. Uh, there's powder designed to pour better, uh, for different applications. So, you know, there, there's just been from the you old name school, it, there's something yeah, out there. from the old school, there's just one type of powder, and you know, you measure it with you know one of these scoop things, a dram. So normally in the home defense rounds, you're not gonna, you're going to expect that they're going to use a low flash powder to keep the yeah yeah, yeah. to keep everything you'll, you'll in check, so you're not blinded by the if, trigger pull. If you buy a premier uh, defensive or duty load from a reputable manufacturer, you will get the best of everything. You'll get the best primers, you get the best powder, low flash, you know, low volatility, and you'll get the best projectile that they make. Um, now, it's harder once you get away from those top-end stuffs, uh, those top-end ammunitions. If you do buy the good stuff, you get the good stuff. So if you spend more money, uh, price per round usually. Yeah, the rule of thumb. And you usually you get, what you only pay get 20, for. 20 rounds in one of those boxes that cost you the same as a 100-round box. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah you're, you're getting stuff that they, they are guaranteeing to perform consistently in your firearm versus like a Winchester white box, which may have slightly different powder yeah, loads. Yeah, they don't, yeah, they they don't, don't control inf- that. Yeah, yeah, the quality quality control, yeah. though, is the quality control excellent is not as nice as the quality control that's going to go into some of the higher-end Hornady critical defenses. Yeah, the the high-end stuff is is what the manufacturers pay attention to. They continuously test it. They continuously update it because they want to sell it to these law enforcement agencies and you, the end user, uh, as self-defense ammo. Right. So they keep it the good stuff. Okay. Uh, now that we've gone through the ammunition pretty much from top to bottom, uh-huh. what... What would you recommend somebody goes and gets for a concealed carry or home defense cartridge? Well, I recommend that you get 
Uh, first of all, you the, the most important thing about ammunition is that it runs in your gun, right? Mm-hmm. So go buy ammo that runs in your gun. Now, don't go buy a case of the cheapest stuff uh, because it's on sale because if it doesn't run in your gun, you got a case of useless ammo. So go buy ammo that runs in your gun. Buy one or two boxes of the cheap stuff. See what your gun likes. You know, but there's a lot of guns out there, uh, Glocks, Smith & Wesson M&Ps, even Berettas and and other things that run with any ammo. So it really doesn't matter what you go get. It's going to run good enough to get your practice in. But you should have some practice ammo. Uh, It should run in your gun, and um, it should be cheap so you can afford to shoot a bunch. Well, one of the things I like to do is before I even dream about carrying a specific load, I go and buy two boxes and I fire it through my firearm. Now, that's a good idea, yeah. So if you're talking about a, a, a self-defense load, a duty load, I recommend the top-of-the-line stuff. Uh, some of them off the top of my head are uh, Federal HSTs. Uh, I like Remington Golden Saber Remington Golden Saber Bonded is good in most calibers, uh, not in forty five. Uh, nine and forty, it, it's good stuff. I shoot stuff. it in nine. Yep, that's good stuff. The uh, Spear Gold Dot is one that's easy for me to recommend because it's easy to find and it's right. always good stuff. Well, also just taking taking note too is uh, when I first was testing out the Golden Saber, I took one box, fired the entire box, then I put two hundred rounds of just junk plink ammo to kind of dirty it up. And then I went back to, you know, firing another, the last box of Golden Saber just to kind of see how it performed and make sure that it worked. And one of the things that I, my, me personally, my guns usually don't go, you know, more than 300 rounds without a cleaning. If you shoot sure. 500, 600, 700 rounds and you don't clean your gun and you don't oil it, then you need to test your fire. You need to test well, your you defensive rounds yeah, yeah, in yeah. that situation. Don't give your gun a fresh cleaning and oiling, and then take it out to the range and you fire it, and everything works great. And then you shoot a thousand rounds through your gun, and you turn around and load up your magazine, and it jams on you. Yeah, don't that's get, on you. Don't get me wrong. I don't clean my guns, but I, I don't let them get so filthy they don't work. Does that make sense? So I know they're going to work. Uh, up until I can't even pick the thing up without being filthy, you know. So there, I never let them get so dirty they don't work. Yeah, you still like to hand me, or uh, there. I know not not you too much, but a lot of people like me to shoot their guns because they always get them back cleaner than they ever oh, imagined. Man, they could be. I loaned my gun out to my brother's father-in-law. Anywho, I got it back pristine. I didn't know the thing could did be he, that did, clean. Did he shoot it? Oh, he I it. thought he refinished it. It was beautiful. Yeah. And it was a Glock. So I was like, why is this so pretty? I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, some of us like to actually take care of our yeah, 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 yeah. Keep I just needed to go bang. Great working order. No, but but you make a good point about uh, making sure it's clean. There's no reason not to clean a carry gun. Something you trust your life to should be clean, ready to go, ready to rock and roll. Um, you know, I have a three gun shotgun. Uh, you know, it's not kept loaded in the house. It's in the safe. It's you know, it's probably not clean right now. I probably will clean it before I go shoot it again. Now, would I recommend that for my defensive shotgun? No, no, I wouldn't recommend that at all. Um, you know, my guns get a good wipe down and a re-oiling after every range use minimum. And, you know, uh, if it's a defensive gun, it probably gets a little more inspection. So once again, to reiterate, uh, defensive ammunition. Oh, and if you've got any specific questions, jump on our Facebook, uh, shoot me a question 
what should you carry and what? There are some exceptions to the rule to carry a good hollow point ammunition. And I'm going to recommend different things to different people. But that's that's beyond the back to basics stuff. Yeah, just head to facebook.com yes. slash gun show podcast and you can send us a private message or you can post on the on the wall for us. Yeah, definitely. Ask us uh, ask us anything about anything. But uh, if you have a specific, you know, is this good ammo to carry? You know, is, you know, oh, I don't know, fill in the blank, whatever your favorite brand is. What do I think about it? What does Martin think about it? You know, what does the industry say about it? Uh, maybe I've got some information you don't have um, <laughs> working in the industry. But, yeah, if you've got any questions about that stuff, let us know. But the, the good rule of thumb is, you know, high-end defensive ammunition and whatever runs you're going to practice with. All right. Well, uh, we're going to go ahead and move on from that section, and we're going to move into a little bit of news. Ha. News. News. Um, no? Okay. Yeah, that worked. I think you got everyone's attention with that. Um, have you heard about Ruger? Yes, I've heard of them. Uh, do you, did you hear about what they are planning on doing? No. Opening up a something like two hundred to 250,000 square foot facility in Texas? No, I hadn't heard this. Yep. Huh. Apparently, I think more and more companies are going to move away from the states that don't like them. Yeah, but uh, around March, I believe Ruger had announced that they had planned to to uh, build another facility and start lo- started looking around. And uh, a few days ago, maybe they actually came out and said that uh, Texas and the Houston, Austin, or uh, Fort Worth area uh, seem to be some of the biggest competitors and and are really drawing them in. Yeah. Now well, I think I don't think that they'll be inside city limits. On well, any of those, they depends. might be. What but kind of I, facility they're building? What and kind of what kind of tax breaks they'll get? Is there, be the, yeah. So that's why I figure they'll probably be in a smaller town. Somewhere. Oh, but you can bet they've got representatives up there wooing them with uh, with some tax Massive breaks and some incentives. Amounts of, yeah. well, for oh, the yeah. next ten years, we will you know pay your taxes. Yeah, X Y Z. See that all the time. Uh, I don't know if anyone heard about this, but the Salon Police Shootout. Salon? S-O-L-O-N. Uh, two things kind of happened in the past few days. First, they released the dash cam footage. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I Secondly, saw that. Okay. Uh, the cops have officially been cleared of all wrongdoing. Oh. Now, this is a very interesting shootout that happened. I, I would say that the shootout started and ended within about five to six seconds of it starting. Yeah, uh, right. The cop goes up to the car. Uh, begins the normal conversation with him, tells, tells him that he changed lanes incorrect, whatever it was that he had done. And he starts questioning the guy. He's like, hey, you know, I smell some weed, and, you know, I smell weed. And he's like, no, sir, I, I drink beer, but I've, I don't ever do drugs. So the cop gets his driver's license and registration, goes back to his car, and radios it in, finds out through the radio call that this man has m- lots of weapon charges against him, along with drug trafficking. Not, I guess not drug using, but drug, drug trafficking. trafficking. I believe it is. Now, that's that's just me saying that because that's from what I understand. Right. I could be totally wrong. And but don't forget, newspaper reporters are bad at what they do. Yeah, and that's what we're doing right now. We're reporting, so something could be wrong. <laughs> um, and he calls backup. Backup gets there. And while talking to the guy, he um, says, will you step out of the car? Won't do it. Starts to roll up his window, starts the car, and the cops run back to their car and chase him. Now, they chase him maybe a, not even maybe a mile down the road. Yeah. I mean, this is like, it's like the shortest police shortest chase and police shootout. police chase ever. So the guy wipes out, and the cop goes to kind of pin him, T-bone him, pin him in, and the door flings open, and the cop slams on his brakes. You can tell that he's really now stopping. And he comes out. 
shooting. And he puts maybe six or seven right where the cop is sitting. Right. Um, from what I heard, the cop um, received wounds in his hand his and his shoulder, and uh, he took one right center of the chest in his uh, ballistic his vest. vest. Yeah. It actually, well, not center, I guess. It, it, it took a little bit of his badge with it when it hit. Oh. But his uh, partner... You see this shootout going on, and his partner gets out, and I can't tell you who shot what, right? but he's lights out. Like, one of the first return fire clips him right in the head. Oh, And you can see, I mean, he just, he's done. Yeah. I mean, he just plops out completely done and receives three more bullet wounds. Uh, you can see on his, his way down. Well, uh, once he hits. Oh, after he's down. What it looks like is that his partner fired the initial shot that struck him in the head. Uh, the cop inside the car retrieves his firearm and actually fires through the window at the suspect. Well, I mean, he's pretty much guilty, but he fires at him through the he's window. He's allegedly dead. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he looked pretty dead. Um, and 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 strike and and takes him out that way. So. It's kind of interesting to see how fast a shootout, and some of it's luck of the draw. You know, um, I was watching where these five guys are standing in the middle of a, a hallway, uh, waiting on an elevator to come down, and some guy decides to hold them up at gunpoint. Yeah. Well, the five guys thought to themselves, "Oh, this was and this was years and years ago. Oh, okay. um, eight, ten years ago, probably now. Uh, they thought, oh, we can just overpower this guy. No big deal. Well." Um, two of the guys end up dead, and one guy ends up injured before yeah. the guy runs out of ammo and runs. <laughs> so what what happened was is they start to wrestle with the gun. Right. They grab the gun, and while wrestling, it ends up being pointed directly at their friend's head. Yeah. Right when the trigger's pulled. <laughs> so his fr- the one of the guys is immediately killed within right. the within the first few seconds the sh- the firing the shots kind of stun everyone a little bit and since i believe it was a revolver it, it, it was going to keep cycling you know you, you're like a semi oh, right, yeah, handgun. Yeah, yeah. if sure. you grab if you're in a situation and you grab that slide it's not going to cycle another round right it'll just pop the one off right yeah. well since it was a revolver it didn't matter how many hands were on that gun if he was able to overpower it mechanically which would be pretty easy with a cylinder sure, yeah um, he ended up, I believe, shoot, uh, killing two of them, injuring a, a third one, and then uh, running before it was all said and done. Ugh. And this is what happens when you have five guys that think that they can overpower a guy with well, one guy with a Yeah, gun. it's a great equalizer, right? That's why, that's why we're all for gun control. Mm-hmm. You should have a gun and control it, <laughs> preferably carry it in a holster. Right. Uh, preferably get some training on it, and preferably uh, when you shoot it, hit your target. Yeah. Definitely advocate. Speaking of gun control, uh-huh. I have uh, – we've been we've been pummeled with this uh, – with the media blasts of this 90 percent. Obama says 90 percent of Americans want gun control, more right. gun control, background checks, whatever he's saying. And we've been hit with it and hit with it. And those of us who are in the gun community know that can't be right. But we don't have any numbers to back us up. Well, recently, according to a Rasmussen Reports poll, 37% of voters give Obama positive reviews for the way he's handling gun control, as opposed to the 46% of voters who gave him a poor rating. 
So now is that poor writing partly coming from people that are upset that he didn't take guns away? Well, he tried his best. You remember, he pushed for it. He put the smartest guy in the room, Joe Biden, in charge of it. Two shells, Two of, shells 12 of twelve gauge. gauge. Buy a shotgun. And a shotgun. when it didn't go through, he went on the national television and told the the congressman, "Shame on you." And didn't he say that he was going to pass it on his own? Like bypass Congress? Yeah, that was released released from his office. He didn't say that. Oh, okay. Well, then I think somebody in his administration went back to his campaign when he said that the Bush administration was just doing things all willy-nilly and bypassing Congress. No, they don't care. Yeah. Because he's just following exactly the same thing. Yeah, no, there's no difference, right? You you, you change out the D and the R and the jackass and the elephant and – What's the difference? You get the same guy who's doing nothing and blaming everything on somebody else. It's the and, easiest eh, way. Eh, it, hey, I don't blame him. If I could get to be president, I just want to stay there. It's I like a manager. do anything. Yeah, it's exactly like that. I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to drink my coffee. I'm going to surf the internet. If there's a problem, I'll jump up, yell, but make make some noise, and people think I'm solving it. Well, one guy told me, he said, you know, as a president, whether you serve one term or two terms, you get the salary for the rest of your life. Yeah. So it's he, a legacy thing. These yeah. people are egomaniacs. That's why they're presidents. He's like, I don't understand why he would go for a second term. He's already got all, you know, he's already got it taken care of. He got his, Yeah. I mean, you know. We, what I think might be interesting, though, uh, in this big gun control thing is what's going to happen. Uh, as the next elections roll around, 2014, is there elections in 20? There's, there's some, but that's House. That's not senators, right? Uh, you're 2016 is the big one, right? Right. So 2016 rolls around. These senators who pe- tried to pass this gun control legislation come up. Governors, uh, these types come up. And I don't think they've realized what they've done. They forgot about 2004 when they all got voted out of office. 94. That's what I said. Ninety four when they all got voted out of office. I mean, you've already seen it. You've seen the the the, the president of the Senate recalled in Colorado with what double the signatures that got him voted in. I mean, they've. I think they've awoken a sleeping giant. Now, whether or not this giant is still angry, come twenty sixteen, uh, that'll depend on you know lobbying by the NRA, whether or not they try to pass anything in between now and then, you know how much news time it gets, that sort of thing. I really think that they thought that they were going to be able to push this through because of everything that had happened. Their best course of action is to let everything die down at this point, oh, they and try hopefully to push people later. will forget about it. I don't it, think anybody will let them. I think but, it's, I think I think the exact opposite of what you're saying. I, I see what you're saying, but if they keep pushing this, the people will stay angry. And have a reason to come out and vote against them in 2016. Now, if if they don't do anything about it, if they kind of be quiet, let it fall, don't bring it up again at all, uh-huh. then maybe people will forget and won't come out to vote against them. You know, maybe the next big thing will be about the you know the Verizon telephone listening or the or the you know Benghazi or, or whatever. Um, but I think they. Maybe now they've realized that gun owners aren't to be trifled with. Um, we're just too big of a lobby, and we've all got money. And we get Bloomberg's got money. He throws tons of money at things. But Bloomberg doesn't have as much money as we do. If every single gun owner in the country sent the NRA a dollar, they'd have more money than anybody else in Washington. If everybody in the NRA sent, if every gun owner sent the NRA 50 cents or the Second Amendment Foundation, 
And, you know, I'd like to encourage our listeners to, uh, to do just that. I'd like to encourage them to give money to your local organizations who help do things like, you know, uh, hunter safety and, uh, you know, gun training. And, but also, you know, send a couple bucks to the NRA and the Second Amendment Foundation. They're the one out there on the front lines fighting for our rights. And they're the ones that's going to make these guys disappear come 2016 and help get them fired because we don't want them working for us anymore. Yeah.